It's the True Penny Show with your host James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James Trupenny. This is my show, and today we are up in Seattle, Washington, at the AEW's Wrestle Dream events, a tribute event to Antonio Inoki. Uh, well. Uh, to join me on this occasion, Mr. Marcus Green. We have some Ring of Honor things to discuss. We have some uh, AEW things to discuss. No Glait things to discuss. Well, kind of, I guess, in a bit. One thing, maybe. Uh, but he's from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. How are we doing, sir? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, it's been a feel like it's been a little minute since we checked in with AEW. You know, we uh, try to go... Uh, Full prone approach. We hitting, you know, consistently on Gleet and we didn't touch the impact. Uh, try to catch up on Ring of Honor every now and then. And now we, in, you know, we in the, I guess the one A, one if you will, to, to Ring of Honor being one A in uh, AEW. So, you know, a big show for these guys. Wrestle Dream was indeed it was. Interestingly, looking back at history, this is not the first Wrestle Dream show. There have been several others. Most notably, in 2015 at Eddie Arena in Osaka, the big guns, the bodyguard and Zeus, defeated Yunakiyama and Teki Omori for the, for the AJPW World Tag Team Championships. That was in 2015. Eddie Arena for All Japan at that time was a massive show. Um, and in 1991, at Kobe World Hall, there was a Wrestle Dream event. This is this this is the card. This is how about this? Um, uh, where are we? Minoru Suzuki versus Apollo Sugiwara, Yoshiaki Fujiwara versus Fumihiro Niyakuru, Max Natsi Funaki versus Naoki Sano, John Tenter, Earthquake versus Koji Kitao. That was the fun one where they had a massive shoot fight and a fallout. George Takano against Bret Hart, Jonichiro Tenru versus Randy Savage. And Hulk Hogan defending the WWF World Heavyweight Championship against Yoshiaki Yatsu. That, that's, that's some big stuff to follow up on. Um, and to be fair, I think they got a bigger crowd. Yeah, they did. <laughs> they got a bigger crowd than Hulk Hogan in his pomp. How about that? That's not bad as a, as a, as a drawing card. And 9.2 for the overall card from the cage match users. And myself and Mark haven't done a ton of stuff on AEW. This one, obviously kind of relates to a lot of Japanese stuff as we've talked about and the kind of I think it was Tony Khan's envisionment that this would be um a tribute to Antonio and Oki and strong style wrestling and it did have that but there was also an element of good old-fashioned American professional wrestling that kind of like went through the whole thing especially at the beginning and the end would you agree Marcus no, absolutely. It, it, it definitely is some good stuff, great stuff on this card. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, AEW definitely, you know, I think prides itself on, on trying to be uh, certainly a variety uh, product that, that features, you know, a lot of different branches from from, the, from its tree. But, uh, yeah, I think overall, again, I think it suffers from a, a bit of that, that what's becoming the classic AEW overlongness of pay-per-views. Um, but yeah, it it we got some great stuff peppered out. Some stuff I, I think personally didn't necessarily need to be on the show, which uh very much attributed to the the overlongness. But uh yeah, definitely <laughs> like like you said to your credit about the 
to your point, I should say, about the, you know, definitely some strong style stuff there and some great stuff in terms of tributing to, to the to the icon Antonio Noki, but definitely some AEW, like you said, slash American style uh hijinks in there to start and, and certainly to finish it. Some hijinks that for their crowd probably made the entire show, but somebody that uh you know kind of got fed early on in the card just kind of you know like you said stand up fair there's a, a case of never mind the quality feel the width kind of wrestling to this show it's like they pack it they in, pack in, in, in AW. AW. yeah, yeah. Then, uh, one, one two three four five six seven eight nine ten ten matches in a four-hour show which is all right yeah. <laughs> that's the default that's the default number yeah that's i mean 94 people on a roster you've got to keep them employed i guess but <laughs> i mean this is the thing with like having only five pay-per-views in a year and i know it's like there's there's the issue of you perhaps could have less pay-per-views sorry the same you could have less matches but equally Everyone needs to get paid. It's, it's one of them things, isn't it? But let's get started. Let's let's start at the beginning, which is the Ring of Honor Tell Tag Team Champions. MJF, the current AEW World's Champion, who normally tags with Adam Cole, who was Cole was off injured. And they he defended successfully the titles against the righteous Dutch and Vincent. It, it was fine. But I think this is perhaps what should have been on the pre-show, though there would be argument that putting the AW World Heavyweight Champion on the pre-show would devalue the World Heavyweight Championship, but it didn't seem to stop them when they did it all in, so I don't see where it stopped them. <laughs> what did you think of this one, Marcus? Yeah, this is one of those things where I felt like, and, and you know, I think you uh, gave more credit than, than I will. Um, you said put it on the pre-show. I think it could have went on Dynamite. It's been saved for, you know, Dynamite a collision. Um, and I get it, you know, MJF is the emblem on the car right now, and like you said, to your point about devaluing it, but but it's not like we're ever, it's not like AEW is ever suffering from a lack of MJF, and, you know, this was another one of those situations where you kind of know, like, okay, there's a potentiality for uh, this to go another way, but how much have we even consistently seen of Dutch and Vincent for this to go their way? You know, a lot of the narrative around MJF right now is more geared towards everything that's going on with Cole, and then obviously he got a new challenge on the rise. And so it's another one of those foregone conclusions that I just think added to the overlongness until your point could have went on the pre-show or just waited. Yeah, it doesn't do Dutch and Vincent, who've had some moments on AEW television. They're kind of growing in, not in popularity, obviously, but they are certainly getting over as a team. But if they can't beat one guy, what good are they? Is then the issue, isn't it? Yeah, and if you can't beat one guy doing a lot of doing a lot more theatrics than he is high impact maneuvers to take out two guys that may very well, I think, both have him oversized. If I'm not uh, uh, incorrect on that, uh, you know, doing a lot of you know, like like you said, high jinks and grabbing of the nuts and this, that, and the third. Yeah, like you said, it don't really lend any credibility to them who have actually looked quite good in tag team fair, but this is just, you know, you're not going to remember this. Uh, you weren't going to remember this by the end of the night, and, you know, it's just one of those things. Like I said, but again, 
this was for the crowd so they could, you know, continue to cheer for their, uh, what do you call themselves, their douchebag or whatever he says. So. Do, do I feel a sense of negativity towards uh, Ma uh, Maxwell there, sir? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I've kind of, you know, MJF to me worked, you know, and in, in specifically in that, that heel thing. I've never been a huge fan of him, but I, I've, I've understood his necessity and purpose on the show. Mm. Um, but for me, he's kind of, you know, it's kind of in certain instances where I feel like he's overrated. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, and his matches don't exactly excite me in any way, and it's certainly not excite me now when he's added these theatrics to it. So, you know, not saying the guy's trash by any means, but I think I'm kind of, kind of over it at this point, and kind of would like to see something else. You know, perhaps he doesn't necessarily have to be the emblem. We can kind of move on, because again, the show never lacks for anything with MJF. Even if he isn't the champion, he's gonna get probably more time than actual champions on the show. Yeah, I think as well, there's a fine line with that character. Sure, Michaels was in a similar position when he first turned babyface. There's a fine line where that character doesn't become entertaining anymore. Um, and you have to be careful with how you deploy it, and oversaturation could be a problem for him. I know he's supposed to be over the top trying to be a babyface. We know that. And he doesn't. And the story is he doesn't really know how to be a babyface. He doesn't know how to react to kindness. He doesn't know how to deal with those kind of things. And that's a great story in the main event of All In. You know, I was there. I watched it, and it was a great story. But it isn't. It, you don't have to see it every week on every show. You know, there are ways and means of spreading that out because he could become, you know, very quickly a turn off. So they've done really well with it so far. But again, I think they have to be careful with how they deploy it. And, you know, it, as we said, there are booking issues here, especially like Dutch and Vincent, the, the Hardy boys. And now they're back to square one because they've just lost to a guy. <laughs> so yeah. um, that's, that's an issue there. That's a waste of a waste of a rub. But what you can you do? Well, here's two guys that don't need no rub. They kind of made their own rub. Eddie Kingston successfully attends the Ring of Honor at a World Championship and the NJPW Strong Openweight Championship against the, the Ring of Honor Pure Champion Katsuyuri Shibata. 10 minutes and 58 seconds. This was better than the match with Claudio Castagnoli uh, on uh, Dynamite a few weeks ago, the Dynamite Grand Slam show where Eddie won the title. It was a good kickoff to his reign. It was a strong defense. If Eddie is just going to sit and, and wrestle legends for his entire title run and give that championship the polish that maybe it was missing with Claudio, not that Claudio did it badly, but, you know, Eddie's kind of on a mission to, to wrestle everybody. <laughs> wrestle everyone anytime, anywhere. Anyone in DDT, anyone in New Japan, anyone in AEW. What legends can we pull out that would work for him to have a crack at? And... Eddie will be quite happy. And I think that's Shibata's a good start point. You know, I did wince when Shibata took that normal lights bomb because I always wince every time he lands on his neck. But he was all right. And this is like Shibata's found a groove. I am still majorly concerned about a guy that nearly died um, taking bumps, but it's his body and it's his choice. And he's doing incredibly well. You know, that open weight championship was made for him in the situation he's in. 
he's highly protected, everyone loves him, they look after him, and the crowd go nuts for him. And this was just great, absolutely packed with fun. Um, just the kind of wrestling match you need on this show, um, which elevates that championship and elevates Eddie Kingston. And this reign is off to a good start, I think. Marcus, your thoughts? Yeah, 100% agree. Like you said, it's kind of hard uh, for somebody who's, who's grown to, to really dig Kingston, man. It's kind of hard not to you know, have a huge smile on my face with, with the, the spot that he's in now specifically. And I think we talked about this um, on, on a previous show about, you know, this could be a different story because I think, you know, uh, maybe during the pandemic, he was pretty much getting ready to quit the business. And, and to see how things have turned around for him, you know, being able to come to AEW and really shine in a lot of ways and ultimately, you know, reaching a certain peak right now as a dual champion, uh, certainly with the open way, which absolutely suits his style. Uh, it's brilliant. And and the fact that he gets to, to do it against guys that he deeply and profoundly respects, uh, which ironically enough to your point is, is, is coming off of the opposite in terms of his last match. Um, which he won the title from from uh, casting Noli, that uh, that foundation of respect is shaky at best. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's just cool to see that this was a great match. Much like you, uh, guys like Shibata, Brian, and some certain others, um, I, I wince any time they land on their neck ahead, mm-hmm. um, because we you know we know the, the the history of it, and we just want these guys to. You know, to be safe at the end of the day, we know they're going to put on some hell of five shows that we want them to be able to to walk when all is said and done. So uh, other than that, though, this was, you know, this could have went another 11 minutes for me, you know. Um, now, to me, and, and maybe you would agree or maybe not, I think if this particular match was for the pure championship, this this win goes another way. Um. Because I just think, you know, Shabbat is just that guy. And I, I don't see that title coming off him anytime soon. But this was a good, believable win for Kingston. Um, he's just that guy that can that can kind of kick into the next gear and, and uh, go that extra mile, which is great to see with these particular matches because he's having to go that extra mile with levels of competition like Shabbat and other legends he's faced. So, um, it was, like I said, it was just cool to see this. And this was one of three matches along with... Um, Talking about Claudio, the match he had on the pre-show with Josh Barnett, where I was kind of looking like, oh, look, they, 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 they let Christmas come kind of early on this card for, for, uh, for James, in a way, because I know these, these are your, your preferred style of matches. So, yeah. I, I do, I do, well, I do love um, a good strong style match, and this was kind of a nice kind of like crossover. Um, I didn't realize Barnett was on the pre-show. I have to look at this. What was Barnett? Uh, London. Oh, there's no results. It's not on there. <laughs> I look at the AW events page and it's not there. Results page, is it on that? Uh, AW Collision Jam page. Uh, did the. Yeah, I'm on a PV page. Oh, yeah. Claudio yeah. Castanelli defeated Josh Barnett. Yeah, he's had some tune up matches because he's wrestling um, Funaki, isn't he? He wrestled Funaki recently, so he's kind of on the combat trail. So, yeah, it would have been nice. I'm going to have to go back and watch that and see how he did. Um, because, yeah, Josh Barnett's awesome. I love watching Josh Barnett wrestle. Um, yeah. And yeah, and Moxley's a big fan of this. Obviously, he does the blood sports shows with him. Um, and I think um, so has uh, Rocky Romero's as well. 
Um, and Eddie Kingston and Rocky Romero had a cracking match last week on uh, Rampage for the Ring of Honor Championship as well. And for the uh, New Japan, oh, it's just for the New Japan Openweight Championship, I think. But yes. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm intrigued just to see who they get for Eddie next. I know he's got to have a blood feud like he had with Castagnoli eventually. But in the meantime, if he's wrestling guys like Shibata and they bring out Yonaki Armour, <laughs> you know, whoever they found kicking around New Japan yeah. on top of crack at it, then that'll be amazing, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know he just, I know actually, speaking of competition, I know he just kind of lost to Joe, but I'd like to see him run into. Uh, uh, Shane Taylor. Yeah, that that, that would be an interesting blood feud because you could elevate Shane Taylor, who's never held that title, and Shane Taylor's just the right person for Eddie Kingston. You know, the, the similar story. They both grew up on the Indies. Taylor was the guy that kind of had success in a similar way to Kingston, and yeah, that's that's a good story to tell. I like that idea. I think that's really really cool. Um, um, I think it may end up being one of Santana Ortiz, which would be wouldn't be a bad idea either. There's various ways you can go with this, and we also we we're not really discussing New Japan strongbooking. There's our boy Tito and people like that that could really have a go with Eddie Kingston, and of course New Japan itself. You know, Tomiro Ishii, people like that. You know, who would really kind of shine in that spot with Eddie Kingston. So. We have to see, you know, this is the great possibilities now that Kingston's champion. The chase is done, and it's a long, long chase. <laughs> it's a very long chase. Um, and, and, you know, I, I was thinking back to um, just because of this show, um, and uh, you think back to King, I was, I was thinking back to all King of Trios matches, and there was the, the Roughnecks, which was Eddie Kingston, um, Brody Lee and uh, Grizzly Redwood going up against Dave Taylor, Claudio Castagnoli, and Br- D- Daniel Bryan in 2013. <laughs> and Castagnoli giving Grizz a uh, hundred spins on the on the giant swing, and Eddie just being like, "Oh God, how are we going to get through past these guys?" <laughs> and it's like, "Hey, look at these guys now. They run the show. They're the best in the world." And and they deserve it for what they've been through, you know. And um, whether it was working in the Indies or dealing with politics in WWE or just having to have the pressure of being the biggest wrestler in the world, all of those people deserve what they get in AEW because they put in the hours one way or another. Hey, who? Hi, I'm having a flashback moment to 2012. <laughs> Let's move on. The AEW TBS Championship, Chris Statlander successfully defended against Julia Hart, who had quite the push into this match. She's defeated 24 people to get to this particular point. And this was a very good representation of the TBS Women's Division uh, in this particular match. I really enjoyed it. It was awfully short, mind, and it could have been about five minutes longer to really give things some depth. I like Julia Hart a lot. Her work has been exemplary. Her character work is excellent. That moonsault is gorgeous. But Chris Statlander continues to be the dominant force. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Echo all your sentiments, my friend. Uh, love what the women did here. Love Chris Statlander. Um, I feel like she's full of getting the shoulder potential that I saw uh, earlier on before she kind of got sidelined a bit, I think, with, with a couple of injuries. 
Um, and, and Julia Hart has been a great revelation. It's been cool to see her slow but sure build, uh, certainly in, in, in the character of it all through her, you know, alignment, you know, with the uh, House of Black, which has been, I, I think, uh, you know, just a seamless and great uh, combination for her that she's been able to grow through. And uh, not only aiding the group, but, you know, growing individually. And, and we've gotten to see that. And she's had a great run of, of matches and is, is built to this. And, you know, Chris is coming off of, you know, toppling Jade's extended reign. And I think she's the right person for the job to carry, you know, the the, the next uh, journey for that, you know, the TBS championship being, you know, defending in some, you know, real highly competitive matches and, you know, stat line is just great and Julia is only going to get better. So, uh, to your point, could have went longer, but, you know, they, they packed some good stuff in here. Great moonsault, Julia. Brody King plays a great ringside guy and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more matches between these two down the road. Oh, yeah, for sure. Brody King is like the best heater Julia uh, could have massive imposing doesn't really need to do an awful lot to make him look you know that just just works it's just brilliant just really well done just great professional wrestling well executed it doesn't have to be hard <laughs> I keep saying this it just doesn't have to be hard i was thinking back to the varsity blondes and like how julia hart has quite clearly become the standout of that particular unit uh, i don't know where griff garrison is I know that Brian Pillman Jr. is in WWE and just signed with NXT and just wasn't built for the AEW locker room to be honest, by the sound of things. You're just like, not the right political attitudes, not the right guy to do the right thing at the right place at the right time and just did not fit. Square peg in a round hole. Julia Hart is very much a round peg in very much a round hole. She fits and she gets it and she's done all the work to make it work and Chris Statland is the same. Just absolutely. absolutely solid wrestling. That's all you need. And this great. I just want more than one women's match on the AEW show. And hey, listen, Suzuki Sound listened to us when it came to Glade. So maybe Corey can, uh, Tony, we're just saying, oh, just more than one match. Just, just, just from us, please. If I ever get on one of them pre-show, um, if I, well, if I, I do occasionally get asked to go on the the the. the pre-show calls um I, I, and I, if i ever get a question my question is going to be can we have more than one women's match on a pay-per-view <laughs> just do yeah, and go that's a great question and then not answer it yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean you know, obviously on a pre-show known as zero hour uh what was they always called it pre-shows we had you know the, the match to kick it off was athena philly starks and uh you know who you know along with keith lee tagged with you know the legend Tojima. You know, versus Diamante and Mercedes Martinez, who who teamed with uh, uh, you know Shane Taylor and and Lee Moriarty, but we're talking about specifically the main card. Um, yeah. And, and certainly, you yeah. know, somebody like Athena deserves to be on anybody's main uh card. She could really main event anybody's main card. That girl is having a hell of a run right now. But uh, yeah, hopefully we get more of that um in the future. You know, maybe you know, Khan's not too busy. You know. Signing, signing big names, you know, he, he might just be able to check it out. Intriguing. But yes, let us move on to the AW Tag Team Championship. Number one contender for a match between the Young Bucks, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson. They defeated the Guns, Austin Gunn and Carlton Gunn, Hook and Orange Cassidy and the Lucha Bros. 
Penta El Zero Miedo and your current AEW International Champion Ray Phoenix, along with Alex Abrahentes. 12 minutes and 13 seconds of your usual multi-man shenanigans. I don't think anyone came off particularly badly in this. I think it would have been more interesting to have Hook and Orange Cassidy go against FTR because I don't know what Hook and Orange Cassidy versus FTR looks like. Or against um, Aussie Open. And I'd like to see that because they're interesting. Not that the Guns and Lucha Bros and the Young Bucks are boring, they're not. But it, it, it's, I know what the Bucks versus FTR looks like and it's great. But you should leave that. Break glass in case of emergency feud. <laughs> we don't need to see it again for a while. They just had a massive blow-off match. Let them be. Uh, is my particular take on that. I don't know what yours is, though, Marcus. No, no, I'm right, I'm right there with you, my friend. Um, you know, like you said, this match will stand the fact. You, you kind of know what you're getting off into with this. Um, you know, the Lucha Bros, who they are. It's great to see Ray Phoenix. You know, having this singles run with the international uh, championship, which he's been having some absolute bangers. Well, it'd be nice to see some potential singles go, maybe get to Penta. But I think that TNT t- title is going to be locked up for a minute. Um, I, you know, the guns have been, you know, gro- really growing on me. Uh, you know, they look great in their entrance. And I think their, you know, alignment with uh, King Switch has, has only aided them um, and have a go. But if I'm lining these teams up, to me, the Bucks on the last on the list, you know, much like eight, you know, MJF, we've kind of seen a lot of almost everything, you know, there is to do. Um, like also, I get the necessity, the importance, um, but you know, we need some fresh matchups and some some stuff. And I think Orange Cassidy and Hook are new, fresh, and and present a unique combination. I think going against anybody, you really could have did this, you know, uh, broken this down and did Lucha Bros versus. You know, Orange Cassidy and Hook or the guns. You know, um, I know, again, you kind of need to keep the Bucks in the mix, but I think there's a more creative way to do that. Maybe you split them up. Um, I had them in some individual fair, which I think they did recently. But, uh, yeah, to your point, I, I don't I don't think it's one of those situations where they don't, they don't need it, you know? Yeah, I, I think this is the thing. It's like... Uh, uh, Alan Cheapshaw has been begging for Nick Jackson's solo run for years, and I don't think he's wrong. Nick as a solo wrestler would be amazing. But I know that Matt and Nick don't want to break up because they know they're stronger than the, as a tag team. It's the Rock and Roll Express thing. And, you know, it's like you heard the story about um, New Jack and um, Mustafa breaking up as, as uh, the gangsters in ECW. No. <laughs> so New Jack calls up. Uh, Ricky Morton for advice. Believe it or not, best buds, New Jack and Ricky Morton. Of course they are. Um, New Jack calls up Ricky Morton for advice. Mustafa wants to leave the gangsters. And Ricky goes, good God, why? (laughs) He said, me and Robert can't stand one another. He said, we're sick of the sight of each other. We've been, been in each other's back pockets for the last 30 years. But we both know we ain't shit without each other. (laughs) <laughs> and that's why the Rock and Roll Express never broke up for that long they did that short run in WCW where Ricky turned heel and then after they left, after they got out of that they, they t- started tagging together and smoking out again because they knew which side their bread was bought on and I guess the Young Bucks feel the same way as we'll never be as big a drawing individually yeah. as we are as a group which is fine 
Yeah. But a feud with the guns over a three month period will do the division a lot more good and the guns a lot more good. And it's not, I don't think it's the book's fault. It's not their final decision on booking. But I don't think I don't think what they did was necessary here. You could have Hook and Orange Cassidy pin one of the Lucha Bros and you would still end up the same with a different main event, whoever wins the tag team title match, and you've still got Hook and um Sorry, you've still got Orange Cassidy and Ray Phoenix on the back boiler, haven't you? As the perennial contender for the uh, for the international championship in Orange Cassidy, you've got things you can do with our story. Whereas FDR versus the books, or even well, I mean, Aussie Open versus the books would have been different. But that's kind of we we haven't talked about that yet. <laughs> so for those of you yeah. who, you haven't seen the card already, we don't spoil it for you until we get there. But yeah. It, it, it's not that it's bad, and it's not that it was a bad match. It was a perfectly fine match. Not, not yeah. my taste, as you know, but it was it was good for what it was, and it was virtually impossible with these four teams for it to be bad. But yeah. you know, it just a different, yeah, a different result would have yielded healthier long term options. Yes. Uh, yeah. No. And to your point, now that you they said the story, I think you have told me that. Uh, that story in, in terms of mentality with the uh, Rock and Roll Express, I just think you did it in in, in a relation to a different story. Um, this was the first time I heard in relation to New Jack, which yes. you know the minute I hear it, the minute I hear that name, even knowing how much of a menace he was, uh, <laughs> is always an interesting story that you know uh, probably you probably don't want to hear twice. But um, <laughs> that, I've always actually appreciated that mentality because a lot of times. You know, you see it in entertainment and whatnot. So many, you know, you look at so many singing groups that have unnecessarily broken up because somebody wanted to go solo. Um, and, and oftentimes, and, and to your point with the Rock and Roll Express, you know, sometimes I, I feel like the smarter individuals are the ones who sit down and realize, you know, we better together. You know, I think, yeah. you know, um, yeah. that uh, first thing I think about when I hear about that is Team 3D. You know, obviously we had, you know, Bully have his 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 run, um, his great individual run and impact. But for the most part, they they realized, you know, that they, you know, the long term viability in their careers were, you know, more so together and apart. And I, I think that's just, you know, lends to, you know, guys who kind of look at the business and look at it properly to see the long term vitality and where that that lends itself to. So. But it is always also surprising to hear how many great teams that people fall in love with that just didn't get along, um, you know, particularly in, you know, uh, you know, the years and years and years ago, these classic teams that, you know, people love that didn't get along. Nowadays, it's so many teams that are actual family, most, mostly brothers and twins, that it's, it's interesting. That's, and that's even gearing towards the women. Like, I think there's like a, I think there's a tag team of twin twins in WoW, and I'm just like, this is a, you know, really cool to see in that regard. But yeah, hopefully we see more of of elevation towards the guns and and Orange and 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 Hook, because you don't want to see a combination like that, particularly with Orange coming off of such a great reign as international champion and kind of just floundering with somebody like Hook, who you would imagine they got big plans for the way that they featured him. So yeah. It, it was it was a match that was needed, but I'm not sure it was necessarily that important. It just kind of was there. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Something was important, though, and did actually move a storyline as long was Swerve Strickland defeating Adam Page in 20 minutes and 12 seconds. Because this looked like a match that was not really, you know, the, the, the story behind the match is Swerve is kind of jealous of Adam Page and the, the spot he has. And Adam Page is kind of like, you know, he's still the insecure cowboy. And it was intriguing the way that the crowd reacted to this match. Swerve Strickland is from Washington State, so he got the hometown response, and Paige acts, wrestled essentially as a heel as he got more and more frustrated with the crowd. I think that was a really intriguing because obviously Paige is the person who spent most of the last year trying to get the elite back on the same page, if you'll pardon the pun, with him, and now he's the one that's falling apart, So, <laughs> which is intriguing to me, and I like that story. And to be honest, stories around Adam Page are always intriguing. He knows how to tell a modern wrestling story that's relevant to his audience. And that's not something modern wrestlers can do. And he knows how to do it. And he does it really, really well. This was a good example of that. And Paige comes out of this strong even in defeat. So that's really exactly what you need to do. Um, it's getting over. That's where it's, where it's supposed to be. Um, yeah, but, but again, a really good wrestling match. Pardon me. And Swerve after that big loss at All In, has kind of like regained his momentum and um, the Empire doing well these days. You know, I remember, remember when they were the, like the laughing stock of the Ring of Honor locker room? <laughs> Not these days. Empire's on top. What's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this is one of my favorite things at the show. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Swerve. Um, not necessarily been the you know, biggest fan of, of Paige in recent years, I think. I really dug him when he was having that streak um, of being the next guy up uh, when he was in New Japan. But uh, he's not necessarily really resonated to me uh, in, in, in AEW. You know, obviously he's, you know, had his ups and downs in terms of character and storyline-wise and eventually they got the championship. But um, I feel like he thrives in situations like this, to your point, of telling that modern wrestling story. I always primarily get more interested in his stories when it's a guy when he's across from guys like Strickland who can, you know, bring a, a certain uh, swag, if you will, to kind of elevate it. And I think that's what Swerve did here. I think the tagline for this feud ended up being a great line that Swerve actually said, what's a buckshot to a kill shot? Um, and, and, and long-time Lucha Underground fans will, you know, know and, and appreciate that. But, um, yeah, this was just, just brilliant. It, you know, everything's coming up Swerve right now. You know, like you said, the embassy is hot right now. Um, even with Brian Cage, which is which is good to see after so long of what feels like floundering that he was doing on on the, on the roster. So they up um, swerve with Prince Nana's absolute money. Prince Nana is on a whole different gear right now, um, and it's just brilliant to watch. And yes, yeah, Swerve is just hitting a different gear for me right now. Um, he's always been great. Um, but I feel like he's, he's elevated, and I think this feud is necessary as he goes to that to that next level. I think he's got Manny Pena written all over him. You put him in the right situation, pull the trigger, and you got that's money. And I think Adam, I think Adam's always gonna you know find his place. To your point, you know he he kind of knows how to tell that story. And he knows who he is, and uh, obviously he can go on his own. You know, obviously in relation to the books, that's always the thing. I'm kind of glad they finally got him definitively away from um, the Dark Order because I just feel like that was just a lingering thing that they kind of let linger a little bit too long, but it seems like they, they've kind of, you know, definitively cut that tie. So 
Yeah, this is one of the best things all night. Swerve got that good hometown crowd, got the hometown win, and uh, hopefully it's, you know, more wins to come. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, did, sure. I just had to go look up R.D. Evans to see where he was these days. Do you know where R.D. Evans, the former the former lawyer of, uh, of the Mogul Embassy, is these days? Did you know? No, I don't know. He's a writer and producer for Impact Wrestling. Mm. There you go. You see? Did not know that. I don't know if he's still there, but that's what his Wikipedia page says. Um, yeah, he... Uh, I mean, I was a big fan of his... Um, Templeton Peck, uh, sorry Archibald Peck, who was a, who um, <laughs> was, um, who was a band leader in Chikara, who then became mixed martial Archie, was uh, a guy who looked very similar to R.D. Evans, but they were not the same person, because um, there was a storyline in Chikara where um, Archibald Peck got hit in the face so hard by Eddie Kingston's back to the future spinning, back to the future spinning disc punch, he got sent back in time. <laughs> and Artie Evans had to defend him to the Chicago Board of Directors for a title shot, saying that he never actually received that title shot because Eddie Kingston spun him back in time uh, to a certain date, and he's been stuck there ever since. Are you saying this is Chicago? This was in Chicago, and um, yeah. then to do to, to go find him, I can't remember this. Two the tag team two who were obviously in AEW now, who were were part of the Jericho Appreciation Society, had to drive a DeLorean back to nineteen eighty five to go find him in a shed. <laughs> like, oh, I'm in Chicago. There's absolutely mental storylines they came up with back then. Anywho. Let us go on. Ricky Starks defeats Wheeler Utah in nine minutes and 53 seconds in a match that kind of happened. There was nothing wrong with it. It just didn't really do an awful lot for the people involved. It was just, it was Ricky Starks kind of like having a sharing match with John Moxley, who, who guessed it on commentary. By the way, there were one, two, three, four, five, six people on commentary for the show, along with 10 matches, which was a bit much. Though I did like Mox on commentary. <laughs> Honestly, stop swearing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was, he was definitely um, uh, probably for some people in a quiet taste. I, I found it very entertaining because he can't be anybody else but himself. Um, and, and it's great to see. Like I said, I feel like he's he's really found all of who he is in, in terms of a performer and all that good stuff in AEW. But uh, the only person I felt bad for on commentary is Jr. Um. Because he's just sitting there, like Mox is loud in the mic and loud off the mic, and, and poor Jr. just right there trying to trying to get his stuff in, if you will. Because he's he got to sit there and also wait on two other guys, so it was a lot going on, but they did the best they could. But, but yeah, Mox was uh, Mox was the loud child. Absolutely. What do you think of the match itself? Because it's it's really you and Ricky Starks. It's not going to be awful, but again, it just seemed pointless. Why did they bother? Again, another match that to me catered to the the overlong, the unnecessarily overlongness of the show. This did not need to be on the show. Um, you know, this was you know last minute uh, one of the shows where Yuta came up to Starks backstage and and, and tried to be nice. Starks kind of didn't allow him to, so he ended up challenging him to a match. And I feel like this could have easily went on a dynamite or a collision or hell even a rampage. Either one of those, but this kind of again 
feeling like to your point earlier about needing to get everybody on the show it's not necessary you got enough programming to spread this kind of stuff out and actually probably make it hit harder than than this mm-hmm. did you're not gonna remember this match it didn't feel like it did anything for you know either party except giving Starks additional bragging rights which he don't need because even on on losses he's bragging so you know it's just one of those things uh but uh, again, and, and obviously we're going to get into it right after this. You take this match out and give it the time that it had and add it to the next match. <laughs> oh, yeah. The next match, Ryle Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. 23 minutes and 12 seconds. And quite handily, it could have been 34 minutes and uh, 12, five seconds. And I think we'd all have been happy. To be honest with you, if this live match had lasted for four hours, we would have all been happy. <laughs> and the way they were going, it, it could have lasted for four hours. This was this was the match we were supposed to have last year at um, uh, Forbidden Door, which has obviously got delayed. It's a match that's been in the making for quite some time, ever since Zack Sabre Jr. has won the Best Technical Wrestler in the World Award from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter every year for God knows how long which is named the Brian Danielson Wrestling Observer Newsletter Wrestler of the Year Award, uh, Best Technical Wrestler Award. The, this was everything it needed to be. Zack Sabre Jr. being snarky. It, I was thinking, I hate to do historical parallels because it's their own thing, but when you look at these two wrestlers, you have to. And the obvious parallel is Antonio Inoki versus Billy Robinson, which was the match you know, the, of which really set New Japan on fire in the 1970s and was, you know, there was the, the many parallels between that match and this. But due to their size and things, it did send me back to Johnny Saint versus Jim Briggs. And no one will mention Jim Briggs on commentary because if you look at Jim Briggs, there's been unfortunate things happen in his life as of recent years and he's essentially... Uh, he has gone senile and um, unfortunately accidentally killed somebody. So, you know, they, no one will mention that on, on commentary for obvious reasons, and which is, you know, fine. And I understand why they wouldn't. But Zack Sabre Jr. so borrowed so much from, from Jim Breeks in his career. He was known as Crybaby Jim Breeks, and that the wrist lock stomps Jim Breeks. The next, the next stretch is Jim Breeks. The continuous battering of the referees um, is kind of partly Brian Glover, partly Jim Briggs and a lot of British heels of the 1970s and 80s. There's a lot of his character is based in those wrestlers and Brian Danielson is a student of Johnny Saint. You know, he, he you, Johnny Saint gifted a lot of moves to him when he saw how great Brian was and explained a lot of moves to him and Claudio Castagnoli and um, Chris Hero as well, because they were obsessed with the British wrestling style. Obviously, Steve Regal's had a little major important Brian Danielson's life. So there's all this. This is as close as you get to what British wrestling in the 1970s and 80s looked like to a modern audience, and it, it just timeless, just so good, just everything paced perfectly well. It was rough around the edges because it was a technical wrestling match, and it's not supposed to be smooth. And that Zack Sabre Jr. windy man style that just grinds everything to a halt and it's just such a pleasure to watch you know he's a bad guy he's a heel he's a cocky little shit but i love watching him wrestle and i would watch him wrestle forever in a day 
and this is this is it. This is as good as it gets, as far as I'm concerned. Arguably the best match of the year for me. Um, apparently, Uncle Dave agrees me five and a half stars from him. Nine point six three from the cage match users. But what does Mr. Marcus Green think of this match? That time of the show again, where you know uh, we cover calls like this and there ever so often. Um, you know, we get into those situations where I could talk about the match that I'm blue in the face, and I would I honestly, you know, for a whole hour listen, uh, completely quiet and listen to James talk about the match that he's blue in the face. Um, <laughs> being, being, being the, you know, the wrestling encyclopedia that I always call him, not only, you know, going through the match, but going through, you know, Brian and, and, and Zach's careers and, and why, you know, this was so important and, you know, those individual styles and journeys. But, uh, yeah, you have to go watch this match. Go watch it. Go out of your way to see it. If you don't watch anything else this year, uh, in terms of wrestling, you need to watch this match. You know, it was brilliant to say it on commentary. I don't know if it was Excalibur or, because uh, it wasn't, I don't think it was, I don't know if it was Excalibur or. It was Taz. McGinnis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, they said uh, these two men have done more wrestling. And I think it's I think it's the line that, that really defines this match. They said these two men have done more wrestling in the first ten minutes than you'll see most performers do in ten years. It's just and this, this is this is this this match and, and Brian said it after the match. This is the match he wanted to have his whole career, and I see why. This is the foundational period of the art form. This is a, this is the premier showcase of the foundational uh, period of our form. These two are, are the masters of it, bar none. Uh, Brian is a legend, you know. Uh, Zach pretty much might as well be, you know, considered a legend even even in in, in you know in his youth. Uh, still got years ahead of him. So, like I said, you just really got to go out of your way to, to watch this. This was, you know, one of the best chess games of chess body. One of the best games of body chess you'll ever see. Um, like I said, it was some cringe moments just because of what these men are capable of in terms of bending and stretching and God knows what else you wanted to find it as that Zach does. But uh, yeah, this was this was brilliance personified. Certainly one of the matches of the year for one of the matches of the year for me. Um, if it's anybody's top match of the year, I'm not even going to attempt to argue it. It's just it was just that damn good. Yeah, this is what this card had to be. You know, if you're going to call it Wrestle Dream and with the legacy that name comes with, you know, then you have to have matches like this. That's not to say there isn't a place for sports entertainment, which we have plenty to come on the show. But this was just, this was epic. This is what was needed to be on the show and this is what needed to be featured and they did they did it an exemplary job taz and mcginnis i'm not the biggest fan of mcginnis's commentary work but he was you know bang on for this and he's a guy you know he can go um and you, former ring on a pure champion himself he was a guy taz obviously great background in in shoe style wrestling so this was just perfect this was how pro wrestling this is the pro wrestling i grew up on it doesn't have to be violent <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, you know, this is this is the oh, um, Lance Allworth. Have you heard of him? 
football player, Lance Allworth? No, sir. He played for the Chargers in the 60s. And I was watching the program about the AFL. And one of his teammates said, he said, football doesn't have to be brutish. It can be played in a beautiful manner. And Lance Allworth was the most beautiful football player ever. You know, he was... He was the first AFL player where people would say, is, he, uh, is a young college player good enough for the NFL? And they would say, oh, yeah, he's good enough for the NFL, but he isn't Lance Allworth. You know, he was the guy that defined what a wide receiver should be in the 1960s. One of his teammates said <laughs> they were on a flight somewhere and lightning hit the plane. And he said, I started praying to God. And then he said, I realized that God would never kill Lance. <laughs> and I felt suddenly very calm about myself. Oh, that, oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> I can tell that, that is, that is hilarious. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, but like that's what, this is what wrestling, this is the wrestling equivalent of Lance Allworth, how it's style and grace. There's a viciousness to it, but it's an art form that you can still appreciate without doesn't need to be chair shots. And there's nothing wrong with chair shots and there's nothing wrong with violence. And I like a good death match as much as the next guy. However, yeah. well, as long as the next guy isn't John Dinsale. Um, <laughs> but however, this is great. This is just perfection. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is, this is the master's masterclass. Um, you know, with, with that, you know, with that, like I said, the pewter art form. And this is the match that showcases why we call it an art form. You know, because it's not, you know, and again, like you say, you like a good death match as much as the next guy. I try to stay away from him as much as possible. Um, you know, we, you know, you could do dives and 630s and, you know, 110s all, you know, all day long. But this, this is why, you know, the, the respect for the craft comes in. And I understand why some people would be away from it, particularly if you're a new generation and, and only are used to, you know, seeing 30 dives and, you know, 50 near falls and all that, but, you know, go back and watch that match because this is where it started. This is where it's been honed. This is where it's perfected in, in matches like that. So, yeah, like I said, do yourself a favor. You don't watch anything else on this show. Watch Brian Danielson versus Zach Sabre Jr. I'm going to have to say that. Uh, match me and Dave Stevens from Wrestling Rewind uh, reviewed a few years ago called, uh, which is Brian Glover versus Les Calhet. And I'm going to send it to you so you can watch it and you can tell me how much Zach Sabre Jr. took from Les Calhet because it's great. Uh, sorry, no. from Brian Glover. Okay, yeah. okay, then. So Don Callis has the Don Callis family, I'm assuming in honor to uh, Bobby Heenan and Jimmy Hart, who had their own families, of course. Um, the common family consists of Kansiki Takishita, Sammy Guevara, and Will Ospreay. And they went up against Chris Jericho and the Golden Lovers, Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi, 22 minutes and 10 seconds. This was obviously had diluted Ospreay, so I was much more in favor of it than I normally would be. Um, but this did what it said on the tin. It, it kind of forwards the ongoing feud between Chris Jericho and Don Callis. The Golden Lovers were kind of, you know, they were they were there. My only kind of issue with this match was it was so many near falls, just so many near falls, which did make the match exciting. And it wasn't something that happened on the rest of the show, even in the championship matches. So it kind of gave it a, a lot of impetus. But again, it was just probably over gilding the lily a little bit. 
Um, but yeah, everybody worked hard in this match. It was fine. It was it, it was very good. Um, and you know, it, I I find Chris Jericho as a babyface more bearable, which I suppose is the point, other than as a heel. Um, and it's done an awful lot for Kensuke Takeshita. And to be honest, Don Callis has done an awful lot for Kensuke Takeshita. Interestingly, um, Chris Jericho goes to DDT to main event show with Takeshita next month. It's the first match that Jericho's had outside of New Japan Pro Wrestling since, and first match I was outside in Japan outside of New Japan Pro Wrestling since his days in war um, back in the late 90s. I'm intrigued just to see how that plays out and how um, Jericho plays out in the entire DDT universe, if you see what I mean, because the DDT universe is jet bikes and giant hammers and giant pandas wrestling joshies and, and all sorts of stuff. So I'm intrigued as to how that plays out. Um, and then, But this is interesting stuff. But I think the Golden Lovers need to do more things. And if you were looking for a long-term challenger to FDR, you've got to say Kota Ibushi, Kenny Omega, aren't you? The former DDT Tag Team Champions. I'm just saying, it's there. <laughs> it's staring me in the face. What do you think of that, Marcus? I absolutely agree with everything you said. It's one of them situations just, you know, uh, very much represents what you, you know, we talked about so early on in the show when we first started about that, that American nice style and AEW-ness of it all. So the, the, definitely the combination of that with all those near falls and, you know, everybody getting their proverbial stuff in. I mean, really what you would expect from a lot of these guys, it was... It's always interesting seeing Guevara get put in these situations amongst a lot of these guys who are far more experienced than him and seeing him, you know, take the opportunities to uh, put the spotlight on himself and whatnot. And, you know, I think to your point again, uh, Takeshi has been somebody that's grown on me. The guy's, you know, really good. Obviously, again, to your point about him being aided by Callis, you know, it has really helped him. Uh, and obviously, you got the, the betrayal of, of, of Callis with Jericho and specifically Kenny. So, a lot of story elements in this match as well. But, uh, yeah, to your point with the Golden Lovers, at this point, that's the only type of team that can beat FTR. We're going to get to the match, but you kind of have to assemble, you know, almost a super duo at this point because those guys are just stuck at a level that's insane. Um, and they're consistently at that level. They don't drop even if they're injured or hurt or what have you. Those guys are just they had their God gear, if you will. But, um, yeah, this match did what it needed to do, obviously. The, the momentum seems to be with the family right now. And, uh, you know, we're going to see what they're going to be able to do to, to kind of turn that. But, you know, it's definitely doing a lot for Takesha. And, 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 obviously, Guevara has turned and gone in a different direction. So we'll see where they go with it. But, uh, yeah, like you said, you can kind of get exhausted with the near falls, which, again, like I said, coming off of, you know, that, that last match is, is, is kind of like night and day. Yeah, I mean, at least it was night and day. There, there are some, you know, you watch some cars and there's, there's like three matches of them called on the near falls at the end. So at least they were counter-programming each match, which makes perfect sense. And this was, again, the match to follow was, again, something very different. It was 
a sporting wrestling match between arguably the two best tag teams in the world today. Cash Wheeler and Dax Harwood defeat Aussie Open, Carl Fletcher and Mark Davis a year to the day since their last meeting um, at New Japan's Royal Quest show in Crystal Palace in London. I wasn't there, but I did see them wrestle each other the following night in a 10-man tag, United Empire versus Gear versus Hongtai. Well, Rev Pro All-Stars, I guess. <laughs> um, and Cash Wheeler and Dax Harwood... You're right, they are just as good as it gets these days, except, you know, except for um, Yoshihashi and, and um, Hiroki Goto, who beat them. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> but um, until they write that wrong, Aussie <laughs> uh, Open, again, who were beaten by Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi, um, but they get to Aussie Open, got their win back. Um, you know, this maybe wasn't as good as their match in New Japan last year. But again, they're on different. They're in different constraints. There's a different universe in which they're wrestling, and they're trying to tell a different story. The story is FDR is the best tag team in the world, and Aussie Open aren't quite there yet. They will be one day. Um, but it's it's making that move to getting them there. Um, so, you know, the argument is that Aussie Open have spent a year clawing their way to get to FDR, whereas FDR have been riding on top of the world for the last 12 months, which is true. That's what's, that's what's kind of happened. You know, I think about, you think about the year that Aussie Open's had to get to this match. They have that incredible match with FDR. They go to um, uh, World Tag League and they get to the final. They lose to Goto and, and Yoshihashi. They get the tag team titles from, from Yoshihashi and Goto after the New Japan Cup um, because Kyle Davis and the Kyle Davis and uh, sorry, Fletcher and Davis end up in the New Japan Cup, and and Davis gets all the way to the semi-finals after doing it as an alternate. Then Dave, then Fletcher is out injured during the New Japan Cup. Fletcher comes back and they win the tag team titles. Then Davis is out injured. They are essentially at one point they were unemployed straight after World Tag League, like they did. I think they did Wrestle Kingdom, and then. Oh no, it was World Tag League final and they flew back to Australia and didn't speak to each other for a month because they had no work. And then they were in the New Japan Cup. <laughs> and then, you know, and then they get signed by AEW and all of a sudden they explode and they're on the biggest card of all time. And that's a year. That's a, that's a career for most people. Nozzy Open have had that in yeah. a year. And look how good they are now. Yeah, I think they even might have slid the Wimpack briefly. Yeah. Which was uh, which was really cool. Definitely a, a, a pop of uh, adrenaline into that tag division. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you went went through all that because it, it that that match told that story of like Aussie Open's one of the best, but like I said, FTR is just at a different level. Um, but also I'm glad you 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 mentioned about you know because you've seen more of that matches. Um. And it felt like if they have tangled before, this wasn't their best performance because there were some clunky moments, some missed spots, um, and, and not necessarily the smoothest performance that that you get. Like I said, it felt like FTR was firing on all cylinders, and Ozzy Open was had a couple hiccups uh, here and there. But uh, it was still a good match. Like you said, these are two of the best tag teams, period, uh, going right now. So, you know, it's not, it's never going to be a crapshoot, but... Uh, it definitely could have been, you know, I think at a different different level. But again, even at a different level, I think FTR would have pulled it out because they just, they just, 
too hot right now. Hot as fish grease. And like you said, um, you know, it was great to live in a time that where, you know, but I remember all those years ago covering New Japan and how it just really wasn't a thing. Uh, talking of, talking highly about the winning points of my boy Goto and Yoshiashi. So the, the fact that they hold the win over probably the best tag team in the world. Exactly the best tag team in the world is is, is great. Uh, so I'm looking forward to however they, they have that next meeting to write that wrong. But yeah, this was this is good on any show. You know, 20 minutes, 25 seconds of uh, closing on a super shadow machine which is toppling anybody i don't care how good they are so yeah good good uh good stuff i'm looking forward to see who is next to step up to you know um ftr i do want to say it but you ain't the best tag team in the world until you've won world tag week just saying hey if, if, if james has said it's james just said, saying James Troopin' said it is facts. It's just, it's just what it is. <laughs> Contested with your kinfolk, whoever it is, but that's that's just what it is. I'm 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 just saying, if you want to live up to the uh, the greatest tag teams of all time, what put Doc and Gordy on the map? It was winning uh, World Tag League in All Japan Pro Wrestling 1992. And if you go win that, then I will say you are the best tag team in the world. But until that day. You cannot say you are the best tag team in the world because whoever wins it this year will always take your claim. I don't think it's going to be Bishimon three years in a row. I will say, <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> um, but who knows? Stranger things have happened. And they do love Yoshihashi. Oh, my God. Japanese fans love Yoshihashi so much. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll have to see. Um, now, speaking of sports entertainment, we get to our main event. Which was Christian Cage successfully defending his TNT title against Darby Allen, 25 minutes and 17 seconds in a best of three falls match. In the most sports entertaining way possible, I think. Um, this had everything. See, this is intriguing. Like Christian Cage is the hottest thing in AEW right now, in in many senses, as the hottest heel because he says the unsayable things. Um, as he did in the promos for this match, and obviously. At the end of this match, we had Nick Wayne, Nick Wayne turning on his own mother, Darby Allen, <laughs> which is quite remarkable. But it, it's very much that way in wrestling. The person who says the unthinkable things makes the unthinkable happen. Um, and from an entertaining wrestling match point of view, you cannot complain. This had all the elements of the things you need to make it. A plucky baby face, a evil heel, all the big bumps you could possibly imagine. And a massive, massive surprise at the end. So, what did you think of this one, Marcus? Look, if you go in the show with a bang, this was a hell of a bang. Um, and most of that bang ended up coming in the in the uh, banged upness that I'm sure Darby Allen is still feeling as we're having this conversation on his body from the insane bumps that 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 is is basically defining his career at this point. I hope that kid. Um, you know, has a has a lengthy career. Uh, but but sometimes I, I I question it. You know, with some of the bumps that he takes, there was this gnarly bump. You know, that Christian threw him into the stairs, and I'm just like, I get it, man, but I don't know if I take it. You know, <laughs> um, there's, there's there's no way to protect yourself from bumps like that. You know, I agree with you. I think 
he's a bump machine, but there's only so many. The bump card fills up really quickly for a guy like that, and therefore you need. To, I mean, this was the right time to pull off a big bump like that, but you don't need to be doing them often. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, he's uh, it's already a lot with him doing that coffin drop. That being his his main weapon, and just that that really that just being a trust fall. Um. But yeah, you know, like I said, you go go out with a bang. So had a match to do it, and Darby has shown up and proved that he can he thrive in a lot of these situations. Like he thrives as the underdog. You know, it's always a mountain he has to climb, and he's never, you know, not not willing to, to climb it, no matter how beat up he is, going up, coming back down, whatever have you. He's that guy. Um, Christian's one of my favorite guys ever in the business. Um, he's doing some career work right now, specifically character-wise. I think, obviously, um, some of his best matches was probably in his, his, his last WWE run when he was still consistently going. But, you know, right now he's just, you know, he's in a zone right now. You know, he's older. He's, you know, his body's got, a, you know, speaking of bump calls, a lot of bumps on it. And, you know, he's really, you know, to quote, you know, the legend JR, he's really maximizing his minutes becoming a master of that and um you know doing doing the big stuff and doing the stuff in the matches he needs to when it's necessary when it's important and he did it in this match and uh like you said the match had everything you had obviously the beef between these two and then you had the, the outlining things with you know the nick wayne of it all which was insane you aligned with the, you turned on your mom to align with the guy that's talking about the deceased dad um yeah, it's that. That's interesting. Then you come, you obviously stings in the mix as the, you know, feels like Allen's been his ward, you know, for for the past couple of years. So you tie all that in, and then you end it with, you know, um, the the bang that everybody was waiting for. You know, you pay fans off with something they wanted, and uh, yeah, to see what we saw. Um, it was intriguing, you know, that, that whole thing about never say never and, you know, cause something to change is, is true, you know, because now we've been a rated all superstar on AEW. Indeed we do. Um, intriguingly, with the same theme tune, because, you know, the band isn't owned by WWE, but most notably with um, Beth Copeland doing the voiceover at the beginning, which was really cool. I like that. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I found that out this week. Floating around Twitter, someone said, yeah, Beth Copeland did that. Hey, that's really cool. Beth Phoenix, for those of you who don't know her, that he's married to Edge. Um, but, sorry, Adam Copeland now. We're going to have to get used to saying that because he's now just Adam Copeland. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's not unsurprising when a veteran would come to do something a bit different. And... Triple H made commentary on the Fastlane pay-per-view. He was one asked, what do you feel about, a, about Adam Copeland moving to WWE? And Edge's response and Triple H's response was he did the right thing for his family. And I'm glad he could go and enjoy something uh, and protect his family, do something cool for him, and still enjoy his wrestling. You know, and Triple H is right. And I think Triple H actually kind of enjoys the fact that there's a company he can not worry about people going to and they're not going to drop down they're always going to be fairly relevant so we can pick them up back up again at another date you know i don't think AEW does wwe any harm whatsoever 
I think there'll be some petty stuff and some counter-programming and one thing or another. But I think overall, I think they're kind of secretly happy. There's a place that's of high-quality kind of wrestling environment that, you know, you can drop guys off at and not worry about them for a year or two and then go, hey, do you want to come back? And this is a good example of that. Yeah. All right, this is probably Edge's last run in a major company. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to be useful to anybody else. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in Triple H, I think, you know, for all the fact that he's gotten over the years, uh, some of it warranted, some of it uh, not necessarily. So I think, you know, he's at the age and stage where he's seen enough, been through enough to, to really just be settled in, you know, not only where business is, where he's at in the business and seeing other people, um, you know, come and go in that regard. You know, he's, you know, been responsible in a lot of ways, certainly through the NXT brand for a lot of, you know, the people that people are now calling, you know, their current legends and whatnot for this generation, you know, with, you know, uh, so many of those names that came up through NXT, particularly with the women. So, you know, I think he's, you know, I don't believe that there was any disingenuous and what he's disingenuous and what he said, you know, it's crazy to watch, you know, with Edge's, uh, or Adam's debuts, they have an overflow of Adam's in the company right now, I'll tell you that. But, um, the, the the sheer tribalism that continues to go on within the, the wrestling community and how people unnecessarily take things personally, like, you know, another man that they don't know outside of what, you know, they get from wrestling, taking it so personally that uh, for a decision that he made for himself and his family, like you're getting any less, you're just getting him somewhere else. He could be doing the same thing, saying primarily the same stuff, but just going by his real name, like it's, it's the way some of these fans blow this stuff up to these astronomical proportions when it's really just, you know, it's just a lateral move in a lot of ways. Like he named one thing he didn't do when he came back to WWE, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, he probably did more than he, he really necessarily needed to do. But, you know, he loves the business. He loves uh, giving 110 percent. Uh, even when he don't have to, and, and you know, he pretty much did everything going out the door, putting people over. You know, one of the last things he did was that run with Judgment Day, and they greatly benefited coming off of that. So, you know, I just think a lot of people need to uh, settle their tea kettles, as, as Natty would say, and really just enjoy it. You know, while we still got guys like Edge who could very much have not had this final run in WWE or in AEW because of what he went through. Uh, we could not be getting Brian, you know, who's who's pretty much in his, what he's saying is his last consistent run. So people just need to sit back and enjoy what they're getting. You know, this is good for everybody. To your point earlier, talking about, you know, I think it was talking about Brian Pillman. Um, it's just so great to have places for everybody that everybody can go because not everybody's going to work everywhere. Some people just aren't going to work in WWE, no matter how much they dreamt of it when they were kids, no matter how bad they wanted to be there, no matter how big the pond is. Some people just work better in places like Impact and, you know, uh, Ring of Honor, hell, NWA in, in certain instances. In other places, some people go to New Japan and it's like they're reborn. So it's like you have to get used to, you know, things really just you know, staying, you know, not the same. You know, I think I got over that concept when AJ Styles left Impact. I'm like, well, if he's gone, 
you know, anything can, you know, really happen in that regard. So fans just need to really just settle in, appreciate everything we're getting while we're getting it. Because, you know, guys like Minoru and other names, just they're not going to be around forever, man. No, I was just thinking about my old baseball player, <laughs> Phil, who um, uh, is a parts manager and agricultural, um, like he sold tractors parts, basically, that's his job, right? And he used to work in, in Brick, he used to work in the big tractor parts company. And he didn't like his job and things were going wrong. And so he, when an opening came up at the other tractor parts company, he moved across the road. They literally are across the road from each other. And he just moved across the road where he actually first started working. And I'm just like, thinking, like, if there were a lot of agricultural parts fans who were just the same as, like, wrestling fans, and they would be telling, calling him a sellout for moving from one side of the street to the other. <laughs> it's just like, that's insane, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, he, funnily enough, he gets, like, a, he doesn't get abuse for it. But he works with farmers who are notably not particularly politically correct um, and and have, like, you know, there's a certain level of snobbery among farmers compared to people who work in the farm industry that he's had to deal with. But equally, it's not like, you know, I just like the idea of, like, um, oh, Phil, you're a sellout for going to work for Farmstar. What are you doing? All the years that they put into you. And I'm like, no, you got paid. <laughs> He didn't like yeah. the work. He didn't like the way wings working out, so he moved to a different company. There's nothing wrong with that. That's kind of the job. That's what you do, you know. If yeah. if, if you're not getting paid, or you're not getting respected, or you're not getting supported in your job, you move. That's that's what happens. Or if you feel like you've got better opportunities elsewhere, I changed jobs a year ago because I felt I had better opportunities elsewhere. That's what happens. You know, it's not the end of the world. But I don't get abuse for working for a different educational organization just because they don't work for the previous one that doesn't make any sense yeah asking people ask, asking anybody to stay uncomfortable because however whatever station they are in life uh keeps you at a certain comfort level is just asking out of me you know it's uh you know I, I get it people like what they're used to even if it's to their detriment a lot of times but it's like you know, one of the constant in life is change and people, I think, only like to, you know, deal with that concept when it's at their convenience. And that's just not how it works. Yeah, this is the thing. It's like, you know, especially when it comes to Vincent Kennedy McMahon and, you know, are you not showing loyalty to Vince? And it's like, I mm. <laughs> Vince has shown zero loyalty to anyone in his life. So, you know, and he's he's done many horrible, horrible things. So he's not necessarily someone you want to show loyalty to. So, you know, it's, it, it just makes me smile. Have you got any overall thoughts on the show before we close things out, Marcus? Like I, like I said, it could have, like most, uh, like most uh, not WWE, but AEW pay-per-views, it could have been shorter, it could have been less matches, it could have been tighter. Um, but I thought it was a, a hell of a show, you know. Um, like, like I said, good stuff across the show. I thought the Claudio... Uh, so I thought I thought, the, I thought the zero hour was was good, um, and then you know Eddie Kingston the, the the women's match, you know obviously the swerve match, you know the the Brian and Saber classic, and they like I said they ended it with a bang, got the tag match. It's a lot of great stuff on this card. Um, you know it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback, but it's uh I thought it was a real solid show. You know I think that that. 
some things they're getting a lot better at, other things they're, they're not necessarily, you know, paying too much attention to. But you can't, you know, nothing's perfect. You know, I think they got a lot of good stuff in the mix. They've gotten better at certain stuff. And, you know, I think they've had to really, they've been diligent about um, jumping head first in the rebound and after losing somebody like Punk, who may very well, speaking of change, speaking of people jumping ships and people so obsessed about, that may be something potentially coming up. Uh, on the other side of things. So, you know, they, they've been real diligent about trying to just move that needle in another direction, elevating guys like Swerve, you know, uh, like Christian, getting getting guys, keeping them in the mix and, you know, kind of just moving into a new era. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. But uh, overall, this was a quality show and uh, dedicated to, to, you know, like I said, the icons on there. And I hope, uh, hope he uh, was proud of it. Absolutely. And I think it was a thoroughly enjoyable show with those provisos included. Bit overlong for me and just too much stuff going on in certain spots. But the bits that were important, very enjoyable. So maybe we'll come back to AW sooner rather than later. But next week we are back on our particular hobby horse, <laughs> which is, of course, late. There's a show this week. I think it's on the 11th. So we'll be covering episode 62. And this show, which should be episode 63, um, we've had some chat this week about um, Bork uh, Orchestra searching for divine intervention during their alien match, which will be coming up on this card. We'll see how that goes. Um, um, but in the meantime, thank you very much for listening to the Troopany Show today. Where can we find you on the internet, Marcus? Yes, yes, the, the, the crumbling uh, tower of... Uh... Only known as Twitter, uh, now known as X, the doldrums, if ever there were some. Um, find me at Paradox Kid, that's P A R A D O X K I D, always down the chat. So, always a pleasure to be here. And always a pleasure to have you on. So, you can find me at Sheriff Limestar on Twitter, you can find me at Sheriff Limestar on Instagram, Sheriff, sorry, Sheriff Limestar TX on Instagram. You can find me on Mastodon at Sheriff Lone Star on socials. You can also find the show on Troopany Show on Twitter and on Facebook, The Troopany Show, and on Patreon, The Troopany Show, or also on uh, Instagram as The Troopany Show as well. Please go check those out. Um, we have massive play lots of different shows. I've just recently updated all of the shows for the Wrestling Rewind. You're bang up to date now. All 149 episodes with Dara Martin and Dave plus the previous 30-odd episodes with Mike. Um, so you can go over and listen to that massive archive of stuff there. Hours and hours. I think we're at something like a 1,000 hours now of shows on the Troopany Show channel. Let me have a look. How many hours is it? It usually gives me a rundown of how many hours the entire playlist is. Um, if I look at tracks, it would give me 911 tracks. We're nearly on our 1,000th production of a show, which will tell you how yeah. many shows we've done between the 12 of us who do this show. <laughs> <laughs> we have we ever gone an extended break for any uh, particular reason. Nobody can say that they don't have an extensive amount of content to sit through or, you know, go back through. And, you, and we've had over 672,000 downloads since the show started back in the old WrestleTalk days. That does include... Um, the other shows on WrestleTalk who were uh, uh, like the Daily Squash and things like that, but 
that is only literally only around about I think it's like a hundred thousand. There's, there's, we're nearly reaching half a million of just the Troopany Show era, um, and you know, and which props to Ben and all those guys who did those shows, which were awesome. And what got us started in the first place? Um, we're going into our ninth year next year, which is remarkable. Um, and the fact that we've been doing this for nine years is is incredible. But we still keep having fun, so we're going to keep doing it, aren't we? <laughs> That's yes, it. we are. Yes, we are. So there you go. All right, take care. We'll speak to you next week. Bye.